Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Water seems incredibly simple, but it's incredibly complex beneath the surface. So when you look at a glass of water and you try and understand what is keeping it together in that shape, you try to understand the interactions between all of those water molecules, something that we really don't understand even now. Plus, ways to make water, that glass of water, safe to drink and get rid of any toxic chemicals in it on scale, on mass, using special sponges. Now, one thing that's involved in pretty much most forms of life that we've come across, and especially for humans and plants and animals, is water. But the thing about water is, as you know, it's H2O. Two hydrogens, one oxygen. And these water molecules are made up of these three different elements working together interlinked, bonded. And we know that water has different properties. We know that it freezes at around zero degrees and it boils at 100. When it becomes steam, we can use it to power great machines, to cleanse things. And when it freezes, it changes shape. It can be portable. We can ingest it. It can keep things fresh. Water is quite miraculous. When you snap freeze something with water inside of it, you have to be very careful not to rupture cell walls. If you've ever seen something frozen with liquid nitrogen, you know just what happens when you smash flowers that have been frozen with liquid nitrogen. The water inside their shells shatters upon that impact. And all of these things are amazing because water has such incredible and strange properties. But for something so simple, we still don't have a complete understanding about the way water works. At a molecular level, yes, we know the broad strokes, but there's a lot of things that happen with water that water just does, that we don't really know why. In particular, take, for example, the energy landscape of water. Why the water molecules and the interactions inside water molecule and between water molecules behave in certain ways. And that's what researchers from the Ruhr University of Ockham have been investigating, led by Professor Martina Havaneth, and published in the journal Argenvant Chemie. Now, one of the things that is interesting about water is it's a simple liquid, right? You've seen it in liquid form many thousands of times in your life, I'm sure. But it has unusual properties, and let's list a couple of them. One of them is that it's less dense when it's frozen than when it's liquid. And you know this, you see an ice cube floating in water. That's what makes iced drinks so great. But that's unusual. That doesn't make sense. It becomes less dense when frozen solid. Strange, right? That's one of the weird properties of water. When you think about what a liquid is, a simple way to describe it is the way it interacts with its direct partners. That is that something slides past each other and all this big pool, messy group of stuff, right? That's what you think about a liquid. Whereas something that's solid, frozen, has nice solid structural bonds between it. It doesn't just slide around all over each other. So this interaction between the things around it is sort of what we use as a shorthand to describe what makes something a liquid and what makes something a solid. Now, liquid compared to a gas is that in the liquid, the things are still constrained. They're still sliding over each other and around each other. Whereas in a gas, they're floating, actually just separated from each other by air or something else. Now, the interactions in water and these layers of water, which they call dimmers, that accounts for about 75% when water's a liquid of the energy that keeps the water together. 
So what happens to the other 25% of the energy in this water interaction? And so that's where they're starting to get their head around in more detail. What actually goes on when we talk about liquid water? Now, there's a lot of theories about this and the interactions between different water molecules and trying to understand what this intramolecular relationship means from an energy perspective has been puzzling scientists for more than 40 years because we have the computational techniques to develop a model, to forecast what might happen and to simulate it, but to actually then test and validate that has been incredibly difficult. Now let's think about this interaction between what makes up water. Now, as we spoke about before, water has two hydrogens, one oxygen. So then you will have some interaction between the two hydrogens, the form of hydrogen bonds or other electron interaction that helps attract them to each other. So if you consider the case of two molecules of water interacting with each other, well, you get some sort of sweet spot where the molecules are so close to each other that they sort of start to attract along the hydrogen bond. And this sort of forms a, a couplet, what they call a dimer of water molecules. Now that's two water molecules interacting. And as we said, this accounts for about 75% of the energy that we can see in liquid water holding it together. But, you know, there's a lot more than two molecules of water in a glass of water. So how is everything else interacting? Well, water can also take other forms where it can have three, trimer or tetramer or pentamer, you know, three, four, and five. And they all have different energy potentials and interactions. The, the triangle formation of three water molecules pulling together or more as we start considering even three and four dimensions. Now, these clusters can have some really unusual things, especially when you start making the water shake. And that's exactly what these researchers have been trying to piece together. Where does all this energy in water go? How do the hydrogen bonds between all these water molecules work? Now, normally the way we study something in process is on a molecular level is to use spectroscopy. And that's been used on gas vapor of water a lot. But spectroscopy works by irradiating a water sample with radiation and recording how much light has been absorbed. And that can give you some idea through the pattern that you get back of the intermolecular motions involving one or more water molecules. But in order to do this analysis on water, to try and look at these dimer, two, or trimer, or more molecule interactions, you actually need to shake it or irradiate it in the terahertz frequency range. Lasers that provide that kind of high power that we need for this study of spectroscopy can't really get up to that really high frequency range that we need them to. To put it another way, you can't shake water that fast easily to study them. Now, that's what researchers from the University of Bolsham have been investigating, a way to try and get water up to speed, more or less. And so they used free electron lasers from the Radboud University in Nijia in the Netherlands, which has really high-powered tetrahertz range lasers. And what they do is they shoot this laser through tiny droplets of superfluid helium, just cool down to really, really low temperatures. You know, we're almost talking just one or th one to three degrees Kelvin, or minus 272.75 degrees. It's absurdly cold. Now, these droplets of superfluid helium shoot around and collect water molecules one by one. 
Why would you want to do that? Well, now you can bombard them with lasers and isolate small aggregates, small groupings of dimers and trimers. So instead of looking at a cup of a mole worth of liquid water, you can piece off just two molecules or three molecules or four, then bombard it with laser radiation in the terahertz range. And by doing so, actually look at the strength and the interactions between all of these different bond formations. And by that, actually piece together how water manages to hold itself together in different ways. Now, when they got these results, I could actually compare them to the predicted computer models of how water works and try and validate. But of course, this involves calculations and quantum mechanics, so nothing is ever easy. But they could analyze the spectrum and assign roughly six different intermolecular vibrations. Now, why are scientists so obsessed with bombarding lasers, super high frequencies at really low temperatures to figure out what is happening inside water molecules? There's a good reason. If we try to understand the way in which water behaves as a liquid, when frozen, or as a gas, or in a weird combination stage where it's becoming supercritical as a gas, you have to remember that water is used in everything from food that we eat, drink, but also freezing and preparing our fruits. So it's super cold water, very useful for food preservation and understanding how that works and the energy distribution there. Plus, when it comes to energy production, we still a lot of the time use water, the boiling of water to generate steam, to turn things, which we often use to then power our nation's grids of electricity. So understanding how water behaves in these extreme weird spots is incredibly important. And to do that, you really need to understand fundamentally how it interacts with itself, its energy landscape. So all of these pieces of the puzzle, bombarding it with a laser, cooling it down a lot, getting these readings helps account for how the energy is distributed amongst water when it's pulled in a liquid or in a gas or frozen in a solid and understanding and predicting better how it will behave. So now we have a good way of describing the interactions between three water molecules. It's the first time we've actually got empirical evidence for that. Haven't done it for tetra or pentamer or any more complex solids, but at least we now have more than just the dimer, two water molecules interacting. And we have a way to build towards validate models for these more complicated interactions. So you can see that something as seemingly simple as water requires a lot of complex work to really understand how it works. Some great research by researchers Martina Havendith Newtham, Raphael Schwan, Shen Gu, published in the journal Agavant Chemi International. We know water is incredibly important for life, and that is why safe access to clean and safe drinking water is incredibly important. And that's difficult. And you see how it impacts people and whole communities when you look at the case of Flint in Michigan, which had incredible amounts of pollution and contamination of their water supply. That can happen in the United States, and it can happen everywhere. It's not an issue just in so-called developing countries. Now, one of the things about industrial contamination 
is that it can lead to metals like mercury and lead dissolved, getting put into groundwater and then ending up into the water supply. And getting them out again can be difficult. And one of the things that can actually get into water supplies that is byproduct of industrial processes and that is really not good at all is hexavalent chromium. And a company in the United States just this year was fined for having exposed its employees to this chemical. Now, hexavalent is considered to be extremely toxic, especially when inhaled and ingested. And its use is very regulated in places like Europe and in many countries across the world. And it's thought to actually be genotoxic. So not just like poisoning you and killing you, but actually leading to DNA damage and the formation of cancerous tumours. So it's a bad thing to be around and something you really want to get rid of safely and know that you've managed to get all of it. So a team of researchers, including researchers at École Polytechnique Ferrara de Lucerne, have been working together and published a paper in the Journal of Materials Chemistry A. Now, one of the things about getting rid of and cleaning up any material is that, yes, often you can clean up anything, but to make it safe and make it scalable and efficient to do so. That's the hard part. You know, you can get rid of salt from water by boiling water, but boiling the ocean, that's a different story. And that's one of the things that's faced with many industrial cleanup approaches is how you clean up everything quickly and cheaply and efficiently. It doesn't make more problems just in the cleanup process itself. That's what researchers like lead author Wendy Queen, the Laboratory of Functional Materials has been looking at. Development of energy-efficient processes able to rapidly remove winter water contaminations play an important role in our effort to globally improve human health and environmental well-being. So that's what her target is for her and her colleagues. To, and the way they've been doing it is to develop sponge-like materials that can soak up from a solution all kinds of specific substances. And what they do is they soak up the specific substance you want to take out and leave behind the rest. And that means you know exactly what you've picked up, which is great because you just make a material design to soak that up. And a sponge is good because a sponge-like material is extremely porous with a lot of surface area. And surface area in any type of chemical reaction is often incredibly important. The more surface area, the more reactions you've got taking place. And what they've developed are actually not to call them sponges is a bit of a shorthand. They're actually crystals, metal organic frameworks, MOF. And the scientists are tailoring these crystalline structures to try and capture a specific substance. So you want to go after a certain type of chemical you want to remove, say hexavalent chromium. Well, you target that by engineering this metal organic framework, this crystalline structure to go after just that. So as an example, one gram of this metal organic framework structure has been previously shown to be able to soak up basically one gram of gold dissolved in solution. Now that's pretty amazing to think about. It's pretty much a one-to-one -one efficiency ratio there. It's as good as you're going to get. Now by collaborating with other researchers like Bernd Schmidt and PhD student Marida Valides, they're trying to soak up other materials. So move on from gold, mercury, and lead to something like, more complicated, like hexavalent chromium. Now, hexavalent chromium is a relatively light substance, so 
trying to extract it out is a bit more tricky. But using the right structure, which they've engineered to trap it, they actually trap their hexavalent chromium inside and they turn it into non-toxic trivalent chromium, which is amazing to think about. They basically neutralized it, not actually chemically neutralized it. I'm not saying that they did that, but they changed its structure to make it less damaging quite substantially. And it extracts around 208 milligrams per one gram of MOF. So about a 20% ratio there, which is still pretty good. But that also makes sense because hexavalent chromium is very light. So it doesn't have the mass of, say, gold and the density. Now, the great thing about these sponges is that they're incredibly cheap and easy to make. And you can means you can make them at large scale and just dispose them into areas to soak up specifically what you need to get rid of. Like a one kilogram of MOF costs roughly 15 Swiss francs. Now, think about that. If one kilo of MOF can soak up one kilo of gold, which they've shown in labs that it can do, <laughs> that 15 kilos of MOF suddenly becomes 55,000 Swiss francs worth of gold on it. So ignoring the health benefits, ignoring the environmental benefits, purely as an absorption technique, these things are well worth their weight in gold, quite literally. But for the health benefit to be able to remove toxic pollutants from environmental areas cheaply and efficiently and at scale, that's the important part there. This is some great research from Ecole Polytechnique Federale Université de Lausanne, published in the Journal of Materials Chemistry A. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. Using special sponges to clean up water and ways to help understand the molecular interactions between water and piece together the energy landscape of a water molecule. Our ending theme was composed by Audionatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.